Take away, 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 take away! Top 10 takeaways! Let's take it away! With a DeAndre Swift breakout! Twenty-seven fantasy points. That's right, and not just twenty-seven fantasy points on seventeen touches, including four red zone touches for Carrie Johnson. Just kidding, DeAndre Swift. Imagine if it was Carrie and Johnson, zero RB zealots. You imagine? Imagine. So not Carrie and Johnson. In fact, it was amusing to see a series down in. The opposing team's territory. They were at the Jacksonville 17, first and 10. This happened. This is a true story. This is a true football story from Sunday. First and 10. They decided that it was the Karrion Johnson show. It was time to feed Karrion Johnson up the middle for two yards. Then uh, Matthew Stafford, a short pass to Marvin Jones, who is dust. Two yards. Okay. Two plays, two yards each. It's now third and six. Matthew Stafford pass incomplete short right to Karrion Johnson. (laughs) Karrion Johnson has one game, one game in his whole career with more than 20 fantasy points. DeAndre Swift's already there. Yet Karrion Johnson was viewed as this uh, zero RB bridge back. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were pounding DeAndre Swift in in that zone, that, that frozen pond of the... Zero RB running back. There was a running back that we were motivated to dip our toe in or, or just break through the ice a little bit and get reached down and grab. Because, right? DeAndre Swift's great. Like, he is an exceptional talent. DeAndre Swift at Georgia, okay? 6.2 yards per carry and a 10.1 target share at Georgia. And this is while possessing that just that perfect running back profile to be an all-purpose bell cow, specifically one that thrives in the passing game. That's why he's best comparable to Miles Sanders, runs a 4-4-8, but he has that 87th percentile BMI because he's compact. He's 212, but he's 5'8", 212. So that 5'8", 212 gives him the BMI of running backs that are 220 and higher. And he has great burst. He didn't participate in all the agility drills. We don't know his agility score. Based on what we're seeing from him, his agility score is probably exceptional. So he is an athletic wonder, and he is super skilled, highly skilled in all facets of the game, and now you're seeing him used in the red zone. So they're saying, okay, run between the tackles, bounce it outside, get to the pylon. We we trust you everywhere, not just in the passing game. And so he's actually been elevated faster in Detroit than Miles Sanders was in Philadelphia, even though Miles Sanders was only competing with Jordan Howard. Uh, Kerryon Johnson and Adrian Peterson don't have much left. They have about the same amount left, same amount of juice left, but more juice than Jordan Howard had last year. So this it's, it's so on. It's so on with DeAndre Swift. So that's the number one takeaway because it's a told you so. We always start the show with a told you so, and then we... Pivot to more uh, objective outcomes from week six. Unfortunately, not a great week for Robust RB. We had the uh, Derrick Henry 
explosion, which was great. So great job, Derrick Henry. Thank If you had Derrick Henry in DFS, that was the only way that you were going to finish high this week. You had to have Derrick Henry. We'll talk about the lineup genius in a moment. We were, again, just so, just so, mm, we just, mm, 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 mm. Some of you expected a DeAndre Swift dance party, and I think it's worthy. Based on just my ownership percentage of DeAndre Swift on best ball leagues. So you take underdog, for example. One of my highest owned, if not my highest rostered running back. And first few weeks of the season, it was demoralizing. But DeAndre Swift, he kept the light on, right? He always kept the light on. Even going back to week one, five targets, then he gets a touchdown. Like, he's not heavily used, but he's finding ways to score points in PPR leagues. Just enough. to, to That ray of hope is, is there. It's like, oh, any, any week now, they could unleash him, and then it was this week. And we knew it. We had an idea. There's an inkling. Because in GPPs, you want to run that thought experiment. What if? What if? What if? What if this is the week that they unleash DeAndre Swift or... Adrian Peterson suffers a high ankle sprain. There's some outcomes where DeAndre Swift goes off. Let's get DeAndre Swift in a bunch of lineups because he's super affordable. And we did that, which was great. He was, I think, the highest percentage rostered player on the DFS lineup genius. We were super overweight on him. He had no ownership. So it's not like we were you know, way above consensus because the consensus was that he wasn't playable. So, of course... If you played him just in a couple lineups, you were way above consensus. But we were way, 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 way out in front in DFS this week on DeAndre Swift. We had him in some of our top lineups. However, 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 we did have him in one Deshaun Watson lineup, which hit the pay line easily. We did not have him in our Matt Ryan lineup. So of our top 10 lineups, we had a Matt Ryan lineup. With Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Justin Jefferson, it was beautiful. It was it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. It just it didn't mm, you know it just didn't have uh, just didn't have any DeAndre Swift. Mm, 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 mm. We moved down to Herb Smith at tight end. It was a good salary save. Unfortunately, we were incredibly overweight on Trey Burton in other lineups. So if we had pushed Burton and Swift into this lineup somehow, some way, because Ridley and Jones were so expensive, it was difficult. It was difficult to get anyone but you know Stoneman type players in there. Your Demir Birds, your Irv Smiths, those types of players play the Dolphins defense. There's, there were ways to make it work, but it was challenging, and that lineup could have been epic if. Swift found his way into that lineup. We would have had a dance party. That I can promise you. We would have, and if and if it would have been Burton and Swift in that lineup, then well, I wouldn't have done a show, right? I wouldn't have needed to do the show ever again. Ah! Oh, this was reminiscent of two weeks ago when we had a bunch of lineups with Mixon and a bunch of lineups with OBJ, but nothing interlocking. We had a bunch of Swift lineups, and we had this Matt Ryan lineup and a lot of Burton, but just not interlocking, just kind of not, oh, so close, but fun. 
fun, man. God, DFS is fun when you get the. It's tantalizing. It's just so. Oh man, just like oh wait, but we did. We, uh, uh. Like three thirty, you check the lineups. Like oh man, I know we had a Ryan lineup. We had a Falcon stack with Jefferson. No, we had that. We had a ton of Burton, a ton of Swift. We oh my oh my oh ah, oh. You're still making money, right? You're just not making thousands and thousands. It's a great week for zero RB. I mean, if you consider a great week, one where you have DeAndre Swift, he was technically a zero RB back. He was drafted at slot 50 through 150. That's the zero RB zone, 50 through 150. Ronald Jones, they both went over 25 fantasy points. So anytime you have two zero RB backs, go over 25 fantasy points in a week. That's seismic. Then you also had James White go over 15 points, and this was a muted week for running backs. Again, you weren't going to win the Millie Maker without Derrick Henry, but other than Derrick Henry, robust RB drafters had James Conner, 17.2. Eh. Jonathan Taylor, we had a lot of Jonathan Taylor, third highest scoring running back so far this week at just 15.5 fantasy points. Mixon, 14.9. David Johnson, 13.9. Aaron Jones, 13.1. Miles Sanders, 12.2. That was it, above 10 fantasy points. We also had Philip Lindsay getting above 10 fantasy points. You had Mo Sturt with 9.6. You had Gibson. It was just a muted week overall for running backs. But those are the weeks when comparatively, 0RB will perform closer to, more in line with, Robust RB, so you got to give it to them. You got to, I mean, congratulations. Congratulations, zero RB drafters. You're one in five. <sighs> and I told you, I told you to be careful with these fake chalk running backs, specifically, specifically Alexander Madison, because the Vikings aren't good. So what's to say they're going to have a lead against the Falcons? Because that's what you need with Alexander Madison. 7.2K, you need him to have a lead and to get you know 20 plus carries and a touchdown. You need that. But that's not guaranteed. If the Vikings get down double digits, I mean, it's, it's not going to happen. Now, Alexander Madison has had weeks with five-plus targets. You're like, okay, well, he can be a true bell cow. He did not operate as a bell cow. He wasn't in there. In the hurry-up offense, it was all about Amir Abdullah. So with their player personnel packages in Minnesota, Madison wasn't in there in the hurry-up. It was Abdullah, and that was the problem. He just wasn't on the field when all these fantasy points were being scored. And he dud it out. And that's what you get paying up for an unproven back like Alexander Madison, especially one that's not super explosive. Like it runs a four, six, eight. Get out of here. Get out of here. With very little experience, only 200 carries last year. That's all we have to go on to judge his talent. And you're just going to play him at 7.2K? Huh? Just based on the matchup? In a game that could go either way, right? It's. The stoutness of the defense plus the likely game script, and it, this is not a winning team. The Vikings are bad. Mike Zimmer is going to get fired. It was just misguided. Like Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay. Oh, hey, 100 yards. Zero catches. All right, so empty calorie touches for Philip Lindsay. He did get you three red zone carries. Didn't deliver. Why? Because it's Philip Lindsay. Right? You say, like, oh, well, you know. Alexander Madison wasn't as chalky as you think because of Philip Lindsay. Well, wait, no one was pivoting from Madison at 7.2K down to Lindsay. That's not how DFS works. Then maybe you could reshuffle your whole lineup, maybe, to get Lindsay in there? No, man. Just some bad chalk.
this week. This was a good week to play a wide receiver and flex, which we did on a bunch of lineups. Just didn't quite interlock the way we wanted. Fulgham was a great play. We had Fulgham and Cash, great play. Great process play from Fulgham. And just a great job overall by Fulgham stepping up and taking advantage of the opportunities that come to him. Because when you look at his profile, it's impressive, right? He's comparable to Michael Gallup. It's just Michael Gallup without the draft capital, right? Michael Gallup at Colorado State was competing with the Preston Williams and the Richard Higgins. So his production wasn't astronomical. Travis Fulgham was competing with John Duhart at Old Dominion. His production wasn't astronomical, especially at an early age. He has the late breakout age, but he was explosive and agile. 65th percentile speed score, burst score, and agility score with an 83rd percentile catch radius. You put that guy, 6'2", 215, into the X receiver position, and, and instead of posting him up as a decoy X, you move him around, you make him a queen chess piece, well, he can thrive. He And he did thrive. He's been thriving. And you can compare him to Chase Claypool. In week three, Chase Claypool, 58 snaps, only four targets, 3.4 fantasy points. Last week, 49 snaps, but only four targets. He had the 18 fantasy points. One was on a jet sweep. And congratulations, a lot of running backs wouldn't have scored there. So you can't say, oh, well, he vultured John Connor. No, he didn't. That wasn't a vulture. That, that was a creative play where you give it to a wide receiver with a 99th percentile speed score and tell him to get to the pylon, and he's one of the few guys that can do it. You just got to tip your cap to, you know, tip your cap to you, sir. That's what it is. It's not, oh, you vultured me. Like later in the game, Benny Snell scores a touchdown. The Steelers were up 20. James Conner wasn't in the game. It was a garbage time goal line carry. That's not a vulture. That doesn't count. That wasn't a player personnel package in a game situation where you would ever see James Conner. So you can't call it a vulture. A vulture is when in neutral game situations, in a player personnel package that would typically feature the primary back for whatever reason another running back gets the carry a quarterback takes it in or some trick play where they shovel pass it to the up back to the h back yeah yeah okay okay it that that's a bullshit play call that leads to a touchdown where if they just handed it to the primary back like handing it to marshawn lynch in the super bowl he likely would have scored the touchdown. The likely outcome would have been the primary back scoring a touchdown in that particular game situation with that personnel. But there, there were shenanigans involved, and then the running back didn't get the touchdown. No, that's a vulture. Not Benny Snell at the end of the game, and not Chase Claypool from the 10 on a jet sweep. Let's get our vulture terminology right. But if you look at what Fulgham has done, it's been more impressive than Claypool. It just, it just has been. And are we going to put Fulgham ahead of Chase Claypool in our rankings? Maybe. For the season? Maybe. For Dynasty? Absolutely not. Is Chase Claypool better than Travis Fulgham? Yes. However, let's look at the evolution of Travis Fulgham's usage and output versus Claypool. So we talked about Claypool. He gets four targets, nothing. He gets 11 targets, and a carry, and he has one of the biggest weeks by a fantasy receiver in NFL history, and then he's back to four targets and gets a rushing touchdown in week six. Travis Fulgham, on the other hand, he goes from 36 snaps 
to 45 snaps to 57 snaps. The routes go from 21 to 34 to 48. The targets go from 3 to 13 to 10. So it levels out at 10 plus targets on 34 plus routes as the primary starting receiver. He's out snapping and running more routes than Hightower and Greg Ward. That's a big deal. So he's averaging 26 fantasy points last two games. That's more sustainable than Chase Claypool averaging 30 fantasy points the last two games. So in the weeks ahead, I think that Travis Fulgham is going to be a more reliable fantasy option than Chase Claypool based on the usage pattern and the output of this three-week trend. The three-week span is the span of time that Travis Fulgham's even been active or that Chase Claypool has been in on three receiver sets. And it's also instructive to remember that this is all without Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson has been out for the majority of the last three weeks. So that partially explains Claypool's eruption. But on the other hand, uh, Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey and Jalen Rager have also been out for the Eagles. This is how breakouts happen. Unless you're DeAndre Swift, you're just so much better than the other players at your position. Or Justin Jefferson, you're just the man! I love Justin Jefferson. I love that he's comparable to Reggie Wayne. I think that's such an apropos comparison, and I'm just, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with what he's been doing, and you love that he's a Viking because the Vikings have one of the worst defenses in the league, so they have to throw and run a lot of plays in comeback mode, so they're in the hurry-up offense, the pace of plays going up, and the overall plays and routes run by Justin Jefferson have been way up. Last three weeks, he became a starter in week three. So you actually look four weeks back. 54 snaps a game, 32 routes a game, eight targets a game, and 22 fantasy points a game. And during that time, his true catch rate, so his catch rate just on catchable targets, is above 90%. That's tr- that's a true fact. So when you combine massive volume with hyper-efficiency, what do you get? A wide receiver one. The number one wide receiver during that spin, since he took over from Olabisi Johnson as the number one wide receiver on the outside, or the starting X receiver for the Vikings, took over for Olabisi Johnson. Week three, he's been the number one wide receiver in fantasy. And because... The Vikings' defense is so bad, Adam Thielen has been the number five receiver in fantasy. Volume trumps efficiency when projecting fantasy points. And one of the great hacks for projecting volume is a robust understanding of the defense. And as more weeks tick by, we get a better sense of the quality of these defenses. The Buffalo Bills' defense isn't as good as it was sold to be. The Titans' defense, not as good as it was sold to be. The 49ers' defense, not as good as it was sold to be. And of all the defenses, the most disappointing defense this year, the Vikings. So now you see the Vikings are allowing yards and points, and they simply can't stop anybody, but that also necessarily means that passing game is something that you should invest in in fantasy football. With the exception of Kirk Cousins, during that span where... Justin Jefferson's been the number one wide receiver in fantasy, and Adam Thielen, the number five. This is a riddle. Like It's difficult to even wrap your head around how this is possible, but Kirk Cousins is not a top 15 quarterback. 
That's because he doesn't run at all, and he throws interceptions. That's why. It's just amazing. It's just amazing how inefficient he's been given this volume. And it's, it's why Kirk Cousins cannot be trusted. And those in Washington, Washington fans, know you can't trust this guy. And this is why. But good for Justin Jefferson. I mean, we're going to see some big risers in the dynasty rankings. Number one, Justin Jefferson. And you're going to see some truthers moving up. We have some truther alerts. We have a truther alert at running back. It's time. you got to stash Jeremy McNichols. I, I know. I know. McNichols. I know. I know. It's a damn it McNichols situation. He's no better than Ronald Jones. I get it. Right? I get it. You could even argue... And this is crazy to say, Ronald Jones might be better than Jeremy McNichols. (laughs) Not the most instinctual backs, but what I like about McNichols is that he's starting to run some routes. The Tennessee's decided, listen, we can't have Derrick Henry out here in every situation. He needs a breather. It's going to be McNichols. And McNichols was more than a breather back in week six. 26 snaps, 12 routes, three targets. Uh, So he is a satellite back plus. He's a guy with some real juice. So if you look at his profile, he runs a 4-5 flat. That's 80th percentile. He has great burst and agility. He just is a poor instinctual runner, but he's hung around. He's hanging around the NFL, and he's only 24 years old, and he was a dominant college running back. He had 11% college target share at Boise State. So he was incredibly active in all phases, and if he can learn some of the nuances of playing running back in the NFL just to to a baseline level, he could have some sneaky value in deep leagues, regardless of what happens to Derrick Henry. If Derrick Henry suffers a high ankle sprain, oh, oh boy, oh, oh boy, McNichols. It's going to be the McNichols show. It's going to be a McNichols happy meal, right? McDonald's, McNichols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One more truther for you, Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole is a slot monster. He's a slot monster. 25 slot routes, nine targets, and he went over 100 yards receiving. But, 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 do not let him distract you away from DJ Chark's usage. Jacksonville is another team, just like the Vikings, with a poor defense. I mean, their defense has gone south just as fast as the Vikings, and they are in the south chark 55 snaps again because the jacksonville jaguars are frequently losing they have to throw more and when you throw more you end up running more plays because you grind less clock because you're not running the ball as much 42 routes 14 targets and 13 out of the slot so he had 13 routes out of the slot when cole wasn't in the slot it was chark it was not chenault chenault's on the outside chenault's playing Z outside, only four slot routes. So this Keelan Cole usage pattern is devastating for LaVisca Chenault. And I know I've been preaching get LaVisca Chenault on the Waiver Wired show, but this week it's it's demoralizing. It's demoralizing, but I've always been a believer in Keelan Cole. I still have him in numerous deep dynasty leagues. So to me, it's a feel-good story for a guy that's just good at football, went to a small school, Kentucky Wesleyan, was super dominant and has had no quarterbacks to throw him the ball. When he's had opportunities, he's been efficient his entire career. Whenever he, you call upon Keelan Cole to play wide receiver, he does well. So I love that. And the Jacksonville coaching staff is getting creative. They don't just have a slot guy posted up. They're saying, oh, we're going to move Chark into the slot some. They even played Chris Conley 
five slot snaps. And you see that also happening in Houston. It was super heartening to see Brandon Cooks with 10 slot snaps and Will Fuller with nine slot snaps, Kenny Stills with four slot snaps. So there's some four wide receiver sets where someone other than Randall Cobb was going to play slot, but just because you have a slot receiver in Randall Cobb that you've overpaid like $20 million plus million doesn't mean you always have to play that guy in the slot. You can be creative, and you can get your speed receivers matched up against slot corners, and double moves out of the slot are the most difficult to stop. You do an out-and-up out of the slot against a slot corner, I mean, Will Fuller touchdown. So I love the creativity we're seeing. So it's already a benefit we're seeing to Deshaun Watson and the receivers moving away from Bill O'Brien and some more creativity at offensive coordinator. So it's it's very encouraging. And the slot snaps are a great signal of offensive coordinator creativity. Now to the fallers in Dynasty. We have some players that I am now becoming terrified of in Dynasty. First and foremost, it's Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, what the fuck, man? My question to Juju Smith-Schuster and Mike Tomlin and everyone in the Steelers organization is, what the fuck, man? I mean, why? How? Juju Smith-Schuster is dust? Is this, is this it? He's been supported by touchdowns in fantasy football. Yes, in week one, he went over 20 fantasy points, but uh, two touchdowns. Only 34 air yards in week one. This is where air yards are so important because it helps you sift the hay from the chaff in the game log. That's why we have the air yards in parentheses in the game log. So you can see only 34 air yards, 28 air yards, 39 air yards, and then 20 air yards in week five. And then another week with well below 50 air yards. If you can never get more than 50 air yards, you're not usable. Right, the things that have to break your way are just so crazy, right? And and it also shows a lack of explosiveness, so that even if you get one of these close to the line of scrimmage targets and you have room to run, you can't make it to the end zone. You can't break a long run because you just don't have the explosiveness. You get caught by the defense. That's why these one-dimensional slot receivers, especially the ones that are getting older, like a Cole Beasley, a Randall Cobb, they're such low ceilings, and and they're using Juju Smith-Schuster. Like Cole Beasley. He's Cole Beasley right now. So I saw, oh, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is a great contrarian play in DFS week six. I was like, what? Have you seen the air yards? Are you kidding me? You're just going to play him because no Deontay Johnson? Really? Play anyone. You're going to play James Washington. And oh, he was the target later. He was the air yards later. Big surprise. So I saw this coming with Juju. It's just depressing. It's depressing to move a guy down the dynasty rankings and to flagrantly fail as he did, protected in the slot. He had all the slot snaps. He didn't have to face Denzel Ward. No Deontay Johnson. And and to still fail, I was hoping for the best from him, but now we have to make a significant move, depressing Juju Smith-Schuster in the dynasty rankings. And it's damn near unprecedented for a guy to put up a 1,400-yard season at age 22. And then by age 24, you're like, "Eh, I don't know. I got to put... Justin Jefferson and a bunch of rookie receivers ahead of this guy. It's it's demoralizing. It, it it's 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 also just confusing. It's bizarre. It, it makes you question everything. How how is this possible? Like what's happening with Cam Akers? Right, Cam Akers. What? I I I thought he was healthy. Now he's not healthy. 
Is he not playing? What happened? Like, let's look it up. Cam Akers, we'll go online right now. Let's go online together. Let's try to figure this out together. We're going to conduct an investigation. Cam Akers injury. Let's type in, was he injured? Was there an injury that we're not aware of? Nothing, right? Nothing. Nothing here about an injury, right? Nothing. No one, doubtful for week four, but not injured. Yet doesn't touch the ball? What? This is in some ways, even more terrifying than what we're seeing from Juju Smith-Schuster, because at least with Juju, you could say, okay, well, this guy was never fast. And perhaps that massive sophomore season he had was partly due to Antonio Brown protecting him from alpha corners and that he happened to be operating in a Pittsburgh Steeler offense that set the record with 675 pass attempts that season. It was just volume-fueled with some good luck, and protection from a true alpha wide receiver on the other side. So you can build a analytical case for how Juju Smith-Schuster became overvalued in Dynasty. Like you, That's a post-mortem that you can conduct analytically with some confidence, and you don't walk away just scratching your head thinking, I, 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 I don't know which direction is up, which direction is down. I, I'm so confused. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm completely without a compass. We don't have any idea what's happening with Cam Akers. And maybe as we're recording, news has surfaced of what happened, right? And that's usually what happens with these Monday shows. I don't care what the reason. I just don't care because NFL teams lie. They'll make something up. Melvin Gordon has strep throat. Okay. Okay. NFL teams are liars. And I am worried about Akers. He's going to move down the dynasty rankings because if you remember Darius Geis. Darius Geis is a world-class talent, and then he falls to the end of the second round, and you're like, wait, what's that? What's, what? And then it comes out later, oh, uh, NFL investigators, NFL security, NFL intelligence, they knew, they knew that Darius Geis had committed domestic battery, a battery, a sexual assault in college, and that was not reported. I didn't know. I didn't know about it, right? These are things that we can't know, but the NFL will signal, hey, look at all these teams passing on this guy that need a running back. It's weird. right? It's weird. Cam Akers' situation is weird. And like you're seeing right now with Leonard Fournette, he's sending these cryptic messages on social media. And he was active but in an emergency, and then he has 10 days to rest the ankle, and then he's deactivated. And what? Why? You should have been active. We expected you to be active. What's happening? This is mysterious, and we don't know the answers. We don't know what's happening in that locker room. We don't know what's happening in the Los Angeles locker room with Cam Akers. We didn't know what was happening in Jacksonville with Leonard Fournette, but it became public that he was clashing with coaches. Now it seems he's clashing with Tampa coaches, and that's the fastest way to get flushed out of the league, as we've seen with Darius Geis, is that you clash with the coaches and that your behavior off the football field. Now, with Darius Geis, it's worst-case scenario. Like These are violent acts. But with Cam Akers and with Leonard Fournette, that PTSD from Darius Geis lingers because we had them ranked high based on their talent, their size, their athleticism, their skill sets. These are premium assets in Dynasty once upon a time. And we had them valued highly for too long in spite of the signals that the organizations were sending about them. And this 
clashing with the front office and the coaching staff has fantasy consequences in that the player is deactivated. He scores zero fantasy points. You can't say it doesn't matter. It does matter when the player and the team don't get along. And the fact that Darius Geis couldn't get along with the Washington front office, right? The slimiest front office out there. We should have known. We should, if they were clashing, how, how could you continue to post up Darius Geis in your top 25 running backs in Dynasty? We did. We did. We, we fucked up, man, right? We ignored the signals. We, Leonard Fournette, we're not listening as intently to the signals. We should have been tuning into those signals and listening more clearly. And I don't want to make that mistake with Cam Akers. I, I won't make that mistake with Cam Akers. He's so good. He's so, this is, it's, I want him to be great. I wanted Darius Geist to be great. At least Leonard Fournette had multiple RB1 seasons. But just because they can be great, we want them to be great, means they will be great. There are inhibitors that will prevent them from ever attaining their potential. And we need to listen when those signals are sent out. And that's what we're getting from Los Angeles with Cam Akers. And I'm terrified. And what's happening in New England? Look at Damian Harris. Damian Harris, less snaps in a week where Sony Michelle was out than Rex Burkhead. Like, this is it. You've had time to rehabilitate your broken wrist. You're, you're up and running. You're online. You're at full force. You can practice with the team. You understand the playbook. You have a relationship with Cam Newton and the coaching staff. It's all systems go in week six for Damian Harris. This should have been Damian Harris week, but it wasn't. And I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Rex Burkhead logged 50% more snaps than Damian Harris. And James White, 158% more snaps. And Damian Harris is a quality receiver. So the fact that they're just marginalizing him completely in passing situations, <laughs> it is a red flag. Right? So we're going to get out ahead of this. And we are going to listen to the warning signs and the foreboding signals these teams are putting out, and we're going to act accordingly in Dynasty. It fucking sucks. I think Damian Harris is good. I think Juju's good. I think Fournette's good. Akers is good. But they're coming down. They're, they're coming down. Oh, they're coming down. I never thought Miles Boykin was good. Miles Boykin's a bust. Miles Boykin's a mega bust. He's a mega bust. And so is Nikhil Harry. And there's no excuses for Nikhil Harry in a, in a game where the Patriots were down in the second half. They had to switch over into comeback mode. Patriots receivers as a whole went six for 52, six receptions for 52 yards. And most of that production was Demir Bird. And so congratulations to Cody Carpentier. He told you that Bird was going to be the number one outside receiver on the Undercovered Ops show. So you got to listen to Cody. Cody knows shit. Undercovered Ops. Cody Carpentier, tune in. He knows shit. He told you. And I am ready for Bird to continue to outproduce Nikhil Harry. My body is ready and for Harry to be a bust. It's not over, but it's almost over for Nikhil Harry. It's 100% over for Miles Boykin. And Cody told you Devin Duvernay was coming. That number three job was his. And then it happened this week. Week six, it's the Devin Duvernay show. In the third receiver slot. I mean, nothing crazy, but now multiple targets. He's grossly outsnapping Miles Boykin. Get ready. 
get ready. There's going to be a Devin Duvernay breakout week. One of these weeks. He could break out before J.K. Dobbins because J.K. Dobbins feels like a trap. What number takeaway is this? Can we check in? How many takeaways? YouTube, anyone know how many takeaways? What, what, what number takeaway am I on? I've just been talking on a loop this entire time. I have no idea. I have no idea what takeaway we're on. Anyone have an idea? No? Okay. We're probably around takeaway 10 by now. We can probably wrap the show up soon. But J.K. Dobbins feels like a trap. And if you look at the usage, it was right down the middle. It was the snaps, advantage Edwards. The routes, advantage Dobbins. The touches in the red zone, advantage Edwards. So you, you want the high leverage touches, but the red zone opportunities seem to be going to Edwards. More of the passing game opportunities going to Dobbins. And what was heartbreaking was that Justice Hill was active in week six and uh, logged zero snaps. My worry is that they start ramping up Justice Hill if Ingram's going to miss week seven, and then it becomes just the ultimate touch squeeze for J.K. Dobbins. So I'm not as excited about J.K. Dobbins as some will be heading into week seven. Gus Edwards is going to be a value. And then next year, man, next year, J.K. Dobbins is going to be a superhero. He is going to be streaking across the sky. I can't wait to see it. It, it, it. Probably not this year, based on the usage patterns we're seeing and how much the organization likes Gus Edwards, the bus. And on the other side, it is encouraging to see how much San Francisco is starting to trust a Jamichael Hasty. Jamichael Hasty with a tasty nine carries. Now, only a 15% snap share, so we're not going to get out over our skis on Jamichael Hasty, but he was a more efficient runner last week than Raheem Mostert, and he did out-touch Jarek McKinnon. And when you look at this Jamichael Hasty profile, he wasn't a super mega producer, right? But neither was Raheem Mostert. It's just that Mostert and Hasty have strikingly similar profiles. It's just that Hasty's 20 pounds heavier. And they're bringing him up off the practice squad. They're completely relegating Jeff Wilson. And in a game where Mostert is the primary back, Hasty is getting significant carries. This is a player to monitor and a player to stash in all formats. It's now at the point where you need to stash Hasty in seasonal leagues. We already have him in Dynasty, of course. Uh, it's all at the Senior Bowl. Final observation. This is big. This is big. This is big. We have a career-altering game this Thursday for one Carson Wentz. Now, Carson Wentz has played better than the box score indicates. I mean, last Sunday. Egregious drop by John Hightower. We had a drop by Fulgham. We had a drop in the end zone by Miles Sanders. Now, the sun was in his eyes. The sun was in his eyes. But no excuse for Hightower. No excuse. It drops are not created equal. The high tower was just the most egregious drop. And then the Fulgham drop, the defender had his hand in between the ball and Fulgham's body and distracted him. I don't think it actually touched the ball, but it, I think it was a distraction. And the sun, well, I mean, the sun with Miles Sanders. Imagine oh, Miles Sanders just catch that touchdown. Oh, would have saved his week. So Wentz getting no help. I mean, no help. When you, you're down your top three receivers and your best tight end, Dallas Goddard, Shade! Zachary Shade! You're in a tough spot. Tough scene for Carson Wentz. He's going up against the Baltimore Ravens defense. Yeah, you play the Baltimore Ravens defense, and your name is Carson Wentz, or you're Baker Mayfield. You ask those guys, hey, do defenses matter 
in fantasy football? Do you think it matters that you, when you face a, a Ravens defense versus when you face the Minnesota Vikings defense? Yeah, yeah, see, see uh, yeah, defense matters. Yeah, yeah, it matters. Yeah, you don't want to face, you don't want to face the Ravens. So Wentz's early season schedule has been completely and utterly brutal. And he gets a respite this week, but the Giants defense is better than advertised. And it's a Thursday game, so less time to prepare. And you have a defense that's playing as good as they've played in the last five years. And the coaching staff has already come out publicly. They've publicly stated they're going to be ramping up Jalen Hurts. So this is the moment. This is it. Carson Wentz has one final opportunity to salvage his career. This is his career is at stake. No one has had anything more at stake than Carson Wentz will have in week seven in the 2020 NFL season. Carson, you have one shot. You have one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted on Thursday night football. Will you capture it or let it slip?